Go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to start in, in Exodus 12, so if you want to go ahead and turn there. Last week, we talked about how God used the ten plagues uh, to bust Israel out of the uh, oppression, the slavery that they were in under the Egyptians. And we talked about how that was a type or a shadow uh, or a picture, really, of the work of the cross, Jesus on the cross, particularly his blood. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because um, it, was, it was a really good ministry time. The Lord really spoke a lot to us. This week, I want to pick up kind of where we left off. Um, the plagues worked. <laughs> if you know the story, you know that the plagues worked, especially that final plague uh, that really frustrated um, Pharaoh to no end. Pharaoh said, let my people go. I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm done with these people. And remember, that last plague took his own son. That last plague affected him absolutely in a personal way. And so he finally tells Moses, take your people and get out of here. Look at, look at uh, Exodus 12, verse 31. It says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested, which is what they requested the whole time. It's what Moses said we wanted to do. We want to go worship the Lord out in the desert. We want to go worship God. Every plague, almost after every plague, he's like, All right, now you give up. Can we go worship the Lord? It was always God's agenda for his people and really the people's agenda is to get out and go worship God. In verse 33, it says, um, or verse 32, it says, Take your flocks and herds, and as you have said, and go. And also, bless me. I love that because the plagues really did work. They showed that Pharaoh and his gods were just wimpy. Okay, so he's now, your, your gods are bigger than me. Have them bless me. Verse 30, 33, the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. All the people even did that. They said, for otherwise, if you don't go, we will all die. And then verse 35, it says, The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. So on their way out, they're like, um, can I have that? Hey, what are you doing with that? Can I have that? Can I have your gold? I don't know where to go with that. All right. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So Israel plundered the Egyptians. <laughs> okay, so Pharaoh says go, and not only does Israel leave Egypt, they leave with the loot. And these guys have all the gold and all the silver, all the clothes, all the stuff that they could ever know what to do with. And they leave Egypt. And this is like a dream come true for them. And think about it. This is, this is what they have been waiting for. This is finally happening. They were... They were finally heading out of Egypt. And they were heading not only to a, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We know the story, that, that promised land. But they were also heading to a, towards a promised life. Think about it. Where they were oppressed, where they were slaves, where they were beaten, where they were experiencing a level of unrest. Now they are about to experience a life of rest and a life of peace, a life of uh, provision. And this is a promise that goes all the way back to Abraham. It's not like Moses came in and said, hey guys, I got a great idea. Let's get out of town. Let's blow this joint. And let's go worship out in the desert. No, this is a promise that went all the way back to Abraham. So in a sense, Israel is literally about to step into their destiny. And look what it says in verse 37. It says, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. 
Now, I want to make a really quick point here. I want you to write this down. It's going to be very quick, but write it down. No destiny comes without a journey. And I know that's kind of a duh statement, but no destiny comes without a journey. I remember when I was in junior high, seventh or eighth grade, I can remember my family took a vacation. And really, this was the only vacation we ever took that I can remember, other than like camping at a local lake or something like that. But my dad had a, uh, a training thing for his job in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so he decided that he would take the whole family. Actually, I, I kind of think my stepmom decided that for him. But we, we all went to Little Rock, Arkansas. And my sister and I, we were both pumped. We'd, never, we'd heard about the pool that was there and all the stuff to do and Little Rock and whatever. We were really, 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 really excited. Okay, but the, the problem was is that the only way that we could get there as far as driving goes was with uh, my dad's truck. It was, a, it was a, I don't even remember what year, in 86, Mazda B2000, and it was beige, and it was pretty much brand new. It was the only brand new truck I think he said he ever bought. I eventually took it over and named it Beige Mobile. Marvin, you remember beige? Me and Marvin used to cruise around in beige mobile listening to the Black Crows. Anyway, so anyway, didn't mean to expose you to all that as a young, young kid, but I did. So this is what, okay, my, my dad, uh, my stepmom, my sister, and myself were all going to ride in this single cab beige mobile to Little Rock, Arkansas. I don't know how many hours is that, four or five, maybe six hours, depending on where you go, how you go. And so we're all trying to figure it out, but that's the only way we could get there. That was how we were going to get to that destination. And so after much conversation, it was decided that I would ride in the back of the truck the whole way. (laughs) Now listen, I was super pumped about that. I was really glad because what junior high, what seventh grade boy doesn't want to ride in the back of a truck for hours, you know? So I was super pumped, okay? So my sister and I, the day comes, we're like, yes, we're going to ride in the back of the truck. So we get in, I lay back, and some of the luggage back there, you know, I'm laid back, and we take off. Man, 30 minutes into it, I was miserable. I mean, I was done. First of all, you know how the back of those little pickups have those little ridges? You know, I don't know what those are for. I hate those things. But they have those little ridges, so, you know, I'm like, oh. I mean, 30 minutes into it, I'm so uncomfortable. It's ridiculous. I'm done. And then it's hot. The sun's beating down. I got sunburned. You can imagine how I'm like having to roll over, you know, you know, and then your face is on that hot truck. I don't know why we didn't put a blanket down. I don't know what we were thinking, but this is what we're doing. I was so sunburned and miserable. I did not want to come out of the hotel the whole time we were there. It's like, I'm hot. I'm done. And then as if it wasn't enough, how uncomfortable and sunburned and all that stuff, I was absolutely embarrassed. I did not think about because it's kind of a small truck, a low-riding truck, everybody driving by could see me. I mean, little Honda Accords could see over my, you know what I mean? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you know, and you're waving, and everybody's, you know, laughing and passing, and, you know, and then when I would fall asleep, because it's five hours, I'm a teenage boy, I'm going to fall asleep. You know, I don't know how many times I would wake up and people would be like, <laughs> thinking my parents were carrying a dead body in the back of the truck, you know? It was horrible. But listen, you guys, we were going to Little Rock. We were going on vacation. And that was the only way we could get there. Every destination has a journey. Every destination has a way that you're going to get there. My point is, is that on this is that our culture has kind of conditioned us uh, for comfort. It's all we want. It's all we seek. It's all we know how to deal with. We're used to having 
everything work out for us so quickly and so easily. I mean, I think about our trip to Ethiopia that my wife and, and son and the team went this summer. We went to Ethiopia, flew halfway across the world. And it was a long flight, but in the scheme of things, dude, that was pretty easy. I mean, I watched Hunger Games three times. You know what I mean? I got to eat what I wanted. I got to drink what I wanted. It was awesome. So in the scheme of things, it was very, very, very easy. And I was thinking this week about how we are a people who become uh, more and more entitled to get what we want, when we want it. And we forget that, though this may be true with fast transportation, fast food, fast internet, that there's a lot of things in life that just won't come easy, that won't come quickly. No destiny, no goal, no endeavor, no dream, no promise is going to come without some sort of journey. You guys hearing me this morning? Some sort of process to get there. And so if you're expecting, and I'll just speak this personally to you, if you're expecting in any way, if there's anyone here that is expecting God to just transport you out of your current situation into the promised land without some sort of journey, without some sort of exper- experiencing some sort of travel pains, you're probably going to end up disappointed. Because every destiny has a journey that leads towards it. And I think that the Israelites probably realized that they had a big trip ahead. They, you know, um, if nothing else, the way that Moses instructed them to leave and the way he had them pack up and prepare the food and all those kinds of things, um, it probably, you know, had them clued in that, that we're, on, we're in for a journey. We're going to be taking a trip. And I think most of us understand that life's a journey. I'm not trying to say that we're dumb, that we don't know what's going on in life. We get it. Life's a journey. But look at the route God chose for them. Look at it, verse 37. We were uh, looking at 31 through 36. Now look at verse 37. They plundered the Egyptians. And then verse 37 says, The Israelites journeyed from Ramses, which is the same thing as Goshen. You guys remember when the Israelites came, when uh, when Jacob brought his family down into Egypt, they dwelt in the land of Goshen. Goshen, Ramses is the same thing. So they head out of town, out of Goshen. They're heading out. Here's the Exodus. And it says they go to Sukkoth. Okay, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, this route out of Egypt made absolutely no sense. The Israelites should have been going north, but instead they went South. Look at Exodus chapter 13. Just probably turn a page. Exodus 13. They, they went south. They needed to go north. Look what it says in Exodus 13, and we'll start in verse 17. It says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, okay, so this is kind of remembering back. When Pharaoh let the people go, when he finally said, Get on out of here, it says, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, which would have been that northern route. He said, Even though it was Near. In other words, even though it made more sense to go that way, God didn't lead them that way. Going north would have led them up along, if you know the kind of the geography of that, if they had taken a left and gone north, it would have led them up around the Mediterranean Sea, just pretty much straight into the land of Canaan, the land that God was giving to them. In fact, that route was called uh, the way of the sea. It's the way that everybody that was going to go from Egypt to Canaan or Canaan to Egypt, that's the way everybody went. It had uh, it had good roads. It had 
you know, all kinds of provision along the way. They'd have had plenty of food. They would have had plenty of water. Uh, and it, that particular journey along the, the way of the sea, it was only like four or five days to their destination. And so it, it made the most sense to go that way. But God didn't say hang a left. God said hang a right. Because that's the right way to go, I suppose. Okay? This is where he was leading them. God was leading them, if you keep reading, into the desert. You guys following me? It's time to go. We're not taking the left and going north the easy way. God said, no, we're going to go south, and we're going to go a little bit more of a difficult way. I want you to write this down. If you want to reach the destination that God has for you, if you want to reach God's land, we'll call it God's land, then you have to let God lead. If you want to go where God wants you, if that's truly the, the cry of your heart, oh, God, I just want to be where you want us to be, and all the things that we say, Lord, if you, I'm not even going to go if your presence isn't with us, and Lord, lead us to where you want us. If that's your heart, if that's what you truly want, then you have to let God lead. Look at the next verse, verse 18. This is God explaining why they didn't hang a left, why they hung a right instead. He said the people might change their minds when they see war. And returned to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. Remember, they took a right and went to the wilderness. To the Red Sea. Let's pause right there. Listen, God doesn't do random. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God doesn't do random. God always has a plan. He always has a reason for what he does. Isaiah 55, 9. Most of us are familiar with this. God said about himself, Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, God has this, this vantage point. He's able to see things from a vantage point, allows him to see all angles, allows him to see all possibilities. And though there's a ton of freedom for choices in our daily lives, when it comes to his highest calling, please hear me this morning, the Lord will steer the car in the direction that will best accomplish his will. It's just the truth. We may not like it, but when it comes to his highest calling, Paul said that upward calling. Peter said, um, um, uh, I think it was Peter. No, the writer of Hebrews said, uh, called it the heavenly calling. When it comes to that heavenly calling, that highest calling, the things that God says, I got to have this in your life, he will steer the cart in the direction that best accomplishes his will. So what did God know in this uh, route? What did he know that Israel didn't? Okay, and I want you to write these down because this is good. You can write it in your Bible. You can write it on your notes. What did God know that Israel didn't? Look where it says, when they see war, just as uh, the people might change their mind, when they see war. See, and you can write this down. God was sparing them grief. Because if they had went along the Mediterranean route, it was a great road. It was the best way, but there's also a lot of Egyptian outposts there. Tons of soldiers. There's also potential for different wars. And really think about it this way. For them to go into the land of Canaan, they were going to have to take it. Remember, they were going to have to fight. Well, what do these guys know about fighting? Why don't they know about anything but making bricks? You know, and, and, and dealing with wounds on their back. They didn't know anything. So they were literally only five days away from war. I think God was sparing them. Well, that's what he said. Save them from war. Okay, when they see war, they'll turn around. They'll be scared because why? Because they're not ready. Another thing is, look at what it says. Um, Hence, God led them around the way of the wilderness. I want you to think about this. He was sparing them grief, but he was also preparing 
their hearts. And we'll get into this in a couple of weeks from now. But God was preparing their hearts. These people had been in this idolatry, you know, God-forsaken land for all these years. And, there was, and we talked about this already a lot, so I don't want to go there too much. But there was a lot that God had to work out of them and then work into them. God was preparing their hearts, and not just their hearts, their heart, soul, mind, strength. Remember what he said in Deuteronomy? Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything within you. So he was sparing them grief. He was preparing their hearts to be his people, to worship him. That's why they went out to the desert to begin with. And then look at what it says. Um, to the way of the wilderness, to the Red Sea. Now, we've talked a little bit about what this rep- Red Sea represents. But what happened at the Red Sea? God finalized his salvation for his people. So this Red Sea event, he wanted to go there because he was about to declare them saved. This act, this going through the Red Sea and the the waves crashing down over their oppressors, over their enemies, was like the final deal. Yes, I sent the plagues. Pharaoh's upset. People died. Firstborns died. But this is going to seal the deal because they're on the other side of that Red Sea. The waves closed in their, their oppressors. Their oppressors can't recover from that. You guys hear what I'm saying? So God was doing it. He's had some things in mind, and that's just a tip of the iceberg there. I mean, God had a ton of things in mind, but at the very least, he was sparing them grief. He was preparing their hearts, and he was declaring, you are free. You are saved. Amen? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and my boys have memorized this since they were kids. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. In other words, he's got a plan for your path. His plan is to make it straight. And whether it doesn't look straight to you or not, it is straight because he is making that way, making it that way. You won't see it that way. We talked a little bit about this last week. Until you trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Amen? So bottom line, Israel didn't like the way that God was leading. If you want to reach God's land, you've got to let God lead. But Israel wasn't digging how God was leading. They didn't trust him. They didn't acknowledge God in all their ways. They viewed everything from their own point of view, um, from their own finite level of reasoning. And how do we know that's true? Because look at what happens right there, right after it. Look at um, Exodus 14. Exodus 14. And you can look at verse 10. It says, As Pharaoh approached, remember, Pharaoh changed his mind. What have we done? We got rid of our workforce. So he goes out to get them. It says, As as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to die in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? <laughs> didn't, we say, didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? I mean, can you imagine, after all that they've seen, this is where they're at. They're at the Red Sea. They've already seen the plagues. They've already been delivered. The blood over the doorpost. They're, I mean, they've been saved. God has been amazingly miraculous. And then they're just wigging out. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So their trust level of God in this situation was, we're about to die. 
we're about to die. They weren't trusting in the Lord with all their heart. They certainly weren't acknowledging uh, his ways as perfect and, and smart, you know? The next thing we see in chapter 15, just turn the very next chapter. You can turn the page. This is where, remember, the water was bitter at Marah. It says, then Moses, starting in verse 22, Exodus 15, 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Okay, remember, they were upset about the Red Sea, but then what did God do? He parted the Red Sea. It's like the people were not getting this. So a little bit of water is a little bit bitter. You guys seeing this? And they're like, oh, see, we're going to die of thirst out here. This is whatever. The next thing, very next chapter, look at chapter 16. says in verse 1, starting verse 1, it says the whole Israel community set out from Elim and came into the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community, that means all the Israelites, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. You guys hear that? I just wish God would have just killed us in Egypt. It's like, when is that the better option? You know what I mean? Okay, things are difficult. I'm a little thirsty. I'm a little hungry. But when is it better for God to have killed us in our oppression? So these people are obviously out of their sorts. I mean, they're just wigged out. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died in the hands, the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly. See, they weren't happy about where God was leading them. They were frustrated. They couldn't see clearly. They weren't trusting the Lord. They weren't acknowledging his ways as great and high. Uh, the next thing, and we'll stop at this one because there's all kinds of other ones. Exodus 17, the, the very next thing. The whole Israelite community, starting in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, there, uh, but there there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Because this is like the third time they've done it. Verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock to die of thirst? Okay, we saw God provide at the Red Sea. We saw God turn the bitter water into sweet water at Marah. We saw God feed them with manna from heaven. I mean, what are they not getting here? Now they're a little thirsty, and they think they're going to die. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me, which gives an indicator how intense these people were, how intensely they were upset about how God was leading them. If they're complaining against Moses, who are they really complaining against? Let me ask again. If they're complaining against Moses, who are they really complaining against? Listen, when we're complaining against our boss, when we're complaining against our husband or our wife, when we're complaining against, grumbling against, upset with the journey of this or that or whatever, who are we really complaining against? We're complaining against God. Not that those per- people didn't have a fault or not that they, because they're imperfect. We, we get that. But ultimately, God is in control of our life and he's wanting to allow things, even cause things at times, 
to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. So when we find ourselves grumbling and complaining about the journey that we're on, who are we really complaining against? God. It's a hard truth, a hard reality, but that is the truth. And remember, we said that this whole physical exodus is a prophetic picture of the spiritual exodus. The way Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt is a picture, a type, a shadow of how Jesus led us out of the world, out of the bondage of sin, and how he's, he's putting us into a new land. He's leading us into a new life. And it's the same thing here. Write this down. If you despise the journey, you will delay your destiny. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week because you'll find that the people of Israel, though they were 11 days from Sinai, because remember they went down into Sinai, they were 11 days from Sinai up into Canaan. They were only four or five days to begin with. That's probably really frustrating. We could have been there by now. But what should have taken an 11-day journey, four days from, from Goshen, but 11 days from Sinai, ended up taking 40 years. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, about the wandering. wandering. But you can write that down in kind of preparing our heart for next week. If you despise the journey, because every destination has a journey to get to it. And if you despise that journey, you will delay the destiny. Are you following me this morning? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. What does that mean? It means I will get you there quicker. I really believe that God has in mind to get us to his promises much sooner than we actually get there. I really do. But we cause and prove that we need more work. (laughs) We need a little bit longer to get there. We need more time. Our frustration, our lashing out, our grumbling and complaining like the people of Israel, it shows that we're not quite ready for that destination that God has us. And so our own actions delay the destiny. But I do believe that if we can humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, that he will lift us up and say, awesome, you're more ready than I thought you were, and get us to that destination a lot sooner. And that destination isn't necessarily heaven. I mean, every small thing in our life is part of the journey. Every stop, every circumstance where we have the opportunity to obey, humble ourselves, and and be godly is a destination in and of itself, isn't it? And every time we say, um, yes to the Lord, I trust you, and we have that heart attitude of godliness and, and all that stuff, I think God blesses that and he sends us on our way. We'll talk more about that next week. You know, during worship, I mentioned that a lot of people are in transition. It's, it's amazing. Melissa and I were talking about this yesterday with another couple that we were having brownies and coffee with last night. We were talking about that, about so many people in our sphere, in our realm of influence, are just going through like, the craziest season. Some are like really literally difficult, like, oh my God. But some are just transitional where we just don't, we're trying to discern what God's doing here. God's moving. Some people literally geographically, but some God's just really actively involved in their life, moving on their hearts, moving in their lives, you know? And so, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. 
the amount of people that are going through things. Many are going through difficult things. My challenge is, as I'm praying for you as a pastor, my challenge is to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. God is teaching me this. You guys know, uh, most of you know, that Melissa and I felt like God told us to sell our house, our beautiful house in the country that we love. We, all of our kids were born there, except for Aiden, literally born there. You know, it's just such a precious place. We loved it, but God's like, I want you to sell this thing. And we don't know why. And we haven't moved to the promised land yet. We're renting, <laughs> we're renting a house in Sukkoth, no, in, in Lindale, you know? We're at the Red Sea, ready for him to part the waters. So Melissa and I, our family is experiencing this on a personal level, our own journey, and it's frustrating, you know? You don't want to throw money away on rent if you don't have to, all that stuff, you know what I'm talking about? And then as a church, okay, God, really? Now we've got to move as a church too, you know? But listen, God is doing something. He's doing something in me and Melissa. The way that God has been chiseling my lack of faith, the areas of distrust in my life is just, you don't even want to know because it gets a, becomes a blubbering mess. It's pretty sickening, actually. A couple of times, I think I've told you before, a couple of times Melissa's like, you got to pull it together. <laughs> like, you know? And it is, it's a crazy time, but at the same time, there's like, there's a, there's a pretty special amount of peace that's floating around. And God's teaching us. I'm, I'm reading this Exodus story like I never have. I'm seeing what God was doing in and through his people. It's like, wow, that's what he's doing in me. And more than likely, it's what he's doing in you. If you're going through stuff, listen, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. His desire, he has promises laid out for you. The scripture's full of them destinations for you, things that he has in mind, things that have to do with his good and perfect will for your life, things that are part of that upward calling, that heavenly calling, that are non-negotiables for him, okay? He's probably not going to steer every decision for you on what you should order at lunch or what color car you should buy, but there's some things that are non-negotiable. No, Tony, I want this for you. I plan it before the foundations of the world, and I will steer this car to make sure this happens. And I want to get you there. If you've got a bad attitude, it's going to take you longer and you're going to be miserable longer. But if you can humble yourself, I'll move you along quicker. Does that sound like a mean God? No, it sounds like a gracious God. That he would, he would spare me, that he would prepare me. Those all rhyme. I don't know if you all noticed that. And he would declare. No. But you guys hear what I'm saying? Some of the stuff that you're going through, it's difficult here, but he actually just spared you here. It's difficult here, but he has in mind to prepare you for this. And all of it, if you look in, uh, oh, there's a great verse. It's in 1 Corinthians, I think. It talks about how um, uh, your trials and stuff, basically what it's saying, okay, I don't have it memorized, but basically when you have the right heart and mind and actions and attitudes in the midst of that, it is like declaring defeat to your enemy and salvation of your God, which is very similar to what? what he did through the plagues and through the Red Sea for Israel. So it's really up to us, isn't it? God's moving. How are we grooving? Amen? Let's stand. I just think these are great things to ponder on. I want to pray a blessing over you. I want to just ask God to, to 
minister to your hearts, to calm your spirit, to give you clarity and wisdom as you make decisions. We're asking the same things as a church. Lord, where do you want us? What building do you want us in? We, there's, it's got to be big enough. It's got to have parking. We need a place for our kids. All those things, all those variables. And sometimes those variables, as far as moving this mass group of people, it's kind of overwhelming. It's like there's not very many people, places in Tyler that you can afford, and then it's all this and that. It's overwhelming. But you guys, God knows where he wants us. And for your situation, it's hard, it's difficult. I will never minimize that. But God knows where he wants you. He knows where he wants you, and he will bring you there. Amen? So if you wouldn't mind, just raise your hands. This